From Micah, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, a temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Great, thank you for that. Quite a challenging passage, isn't it? Particularly um, first day of Advent. But uh, hopefully you're going to see that there is good news in that passage. So I hope I do it justice, but uh, there is good news in there. Before we look at that, I know some of you are really good at DIY. Can't see Andy and Richard here, but I know some of you, particularly those two, are really good at DIY. I must confess I'm rubbish at DIY. I can think back of lots of projects that I've attempted that have gone horribly wrong. The pattern often goes the same way. I start off with great enthusiasm. I read the instructions carefully. I now look at the YouTube videos and think, yeah, this, I can do this. I'll save a bit of money. I don't need to get someone in to do this for me. I can do this myself. And then it goes disastrously wrong. A couple of examples. One was just trying to change a light fitting in the ceiling of our lounge. I thought that can't be too difficult, can it? I can do that. So I actually looked at the video. I, I worked out what I needed to do. So, And it started off really well. I took down the old light fitting, noted the coloured wires inside, which weren't quite the same as the one on the video, but I took them down and noted them anyway. <laughs> Managed to put the new light fitting back, felt very proud of myself. It was suspended on the ceiling, it wasn't falling off. So I thought, this is my chance. I called Jackie in, <laughs> very proud of myself for the great lighting up of the lounge. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I switched the switch in the lounge, the hall lights came on. <laughs> how can that happen? I have no idea how that happened. Some of you might be able to tell me that. Anyway, I took it all down, tried again, spent hours trying to fix it. Had to get a man in to, to, to do it for me. The other one was um, changing bath taps. Again, how difficult can changing bath taps be? 
They were all rusty, which is why we had to replace them. So it took me quite a while to get them off, WD-40 and a bit of elbow grease. Got, got them off, fitted the new ones. I had turned the water off before. <laughs> turned the water off, fitted the new taps. Great. Turned the water supply on. Great. The whole lights didn't come on. That was a good sign. <laughs> turned the water supply on. There was a drip. Really annoying. It's dripping through the bottom and it's going through to the ceiling, uh, through the ceiling in the kitchen, unfortunately. So I had to turn it off. Try and again, hours and hours trying to fix it. Eventually gave up. Got a man to come in and fix it for me. So that is a pattern of my DIY stories, I'm afraid. Those are just two examples. Jackie has now banned me from DIY, <laughs> which is a result, really. Just <laughs> It is very annoying. It's the same old story, and it leads to frustration, doesn't it? I'm deeply frustrated that I can't manage to do these, that I have to get someone else in. The plumber we got in to repair the taps was very sarcastic. Saying, Who did this? What a bodge job this was. No idea, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> During lockdown, I managed to read quite a few books. Maybe you did the same. Remember, I'm banned from DIY, so I had to read books. One of the books I read was, was this one by Tom Wright called Broken Signposts, which I found really interesting. He goes through different examples of where we have a deep longing for things to be better than they are, where we have frustrations in life. And he refers to those as broken signposts. They refer those signposts to things being better in the future. Now, I don't know if that, were, that corresponds to light fittings and taps, but it, his first chapter is on justice. So I reread it for today's sermon because justice and injustice appears quite a lot in our reading. What he says is that for all the examples where there's dissatisfaction, that their signposts to a better future. We have those deep longings and they point towards a better future. In this case, it points to a future where there will be justice, where people are treated fairly. I'm sure that when we look around, we can easily recite examples of where there is injustice and where people are not treated fairly. We see it in the news all too often, I'm afraid. International stories, but also national and local ones as well. Bosses exploiting their workers, MPs claiming money they shouldn't be, local councillors accepting bribes, Unfortunately, church leaders being dishonest. I think for some of us, when we think of injustice, that will make us angry. And some of us might experience pain because we've experienced injustice and unfairness in our lives. We want to see it put right. We don't like it. We have that longing, that urging to live in a world where there is justice and fairness. And if that's true, our reading today is a positive one, because God has that same yearning. He has that same longing to see a world that is just and fair. God understands our pain and our sense of injustice, and he shares that. The situation when Michael was writing was, was truly horrendous. It was very shocking. The, the reading that we had talks about dishonesty and exploitation and corruption being completely widespread. And it wasn't just the leaders, but in our passage, it is the leaders that are particularly put under the spotlight. They are held to account. They're stealing people's clothes, houses, and their children's future. 
And the, the, the language that Micah uses is very graphic and quite disturbing. The leaders are described as wild animals who rip the flesh off people's bones. They're described as cannibals, breaking up people's body and cooking it. Jerusalem is said to be built on the blood of its own people. The leaders are not the only ones to blame, but they are singled out because they are the ones who are meant to be standing up for justice and defending the weak and powerless. But it turns out that they're the very ones who are exploiting other people. And that makes God angry. And it's not just the religious leaders, is it? It's all the leaders in that reading are highlighted. At the end of the reading it says, the leaders judge for a bribe, the priests teach for a price, the prophets tell fortunes for money. It's not just the religious leaders that are condemned, it's the civil leaders as well. Now I don't know how you respond to that. Um, it can be a difficult read, can't it? And it can put a spotlight on us as well. Are we acting justly and fairly? And some people might struggle that, well, I don't like the idea of God judging, being angry with people. That doesn't fit in with my view of God being loving and all-merciful. And I can understand that to some extent. But our God is not a sentimental God. God is not indifferent to injustice. He's not indifferent to the suffering of his people. He's not indifferent when people are led astray and away from him. And I think that's good news, isn't it? I wouldn't want a God who is indifferent. The reason he's not indifferent is because he loves us. Micah's message is not an easy read because God loves us. He is passionate about justice. He is passionate for his people. And I think a God who ignored sin, who overlooked injustice, would be complicit, wouldn't he? And I wouldn't want a God to be like that. That wouldn't be a God that I would choose to worship. I want a God who judges. I want a God who gets angry with sin and injustice. Because I feel the same. It is a tough read, but I think it is good news. It's good news because it tells us something about God. And I think there's two more reasons why it's good news as well. And the first reason is that it means that God has not given up on his people. If he'd given up, he wouldn't have sent Micah to tell them how he felt. But he sends Micah to point out the sins of his people, to point out what the leaders are doing wrong. And he does that for a reason. He does it so that they will repent. Yes, God is really clear with them. If they continue to listen to false gods, he's going to stop speaking to them. If they continue to reject God, he's going to reject them. If they continue to bring disaster on the people, he's going to bring disaster on them. Yes, there is judgment there. But he wants them to repent. The very reason he sends Micah is so that they will see what they're doing is wrong and repent. When Micah was preaching, he preached at the time of Hezekiah. Uh, and we can read later on how Hezekiah responded. So in Jeremiah, we have this reading. So Jeremiah records the following. Some of the elders of the land stepped forward and said to the entire assembly of people, Micah of Morsheth, that's our Micah, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah, put him to death? The answer to that is no. Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favour? The answer to that is yes. And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them? And fantastically, the answer to that question is also yes. Hezekiah did repent, and because he repented, God relented. He didn't bring the destruction he'd prophesied at that time. It is really good news that God doesn't give up on his people. He continually implores them to return to him. He wants his people to turn their lives around and come back to him in repentance. And when they do, God is so quick to relent, to not bring that judgment upon his people, but to forgive them. So that is good news. The final reason that this is good news is because Micah points forward. We often speak of Micah at Christmas because it does point forward to Jesus. One day God will intervene in history. God will put things right. In fact, I would suggest he already has. Just before our reading, we have this passage, which is a fantastic passage. God, through Micah, says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like the flock in his pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Even when Micah is told to preach against the people's sins and their injustice and their exploitation, it's set within this context of a greater hope. One day God will become Israel's leader. The leaders of Israel has failed. All of them have failed. Some of them were better than others, but none of them were perfect. Micah points forward to a day when there will be a new leader. And it's not just a new human leader. It will be God himself. God himself will come to lead his people. That is the great hope of Micah in the Old Testament. And it's through Jesus that God comes to save a people for himself. It's through Jesus that God's kingdom breaks into history. Now that is fantastic news. It's Jesus who's going to fulfill the role of leadership in Israel. The prophets, the priests and the kings of the Old Testament all failed to live up to God's ideal. Jesus fulfills that ideal. He is the perfect prophet, priest and king. Hallelujah. And the contrast can't be more apparent than, than in the time of Micah. The prophet in the time of Micah were meant to speak the word of God, but they were speaking what they thought the people wanted to hear, and it depended on how much they would pay them. Jesus speaks the very word of God because he is the word of God. The priests in Micah's time were supposed to represent God to the people and the people to God, but they acted in their own self-interest. 
Jesus is the perfect priest because he opens a way up to us, to the Father. He does that because he is both God and man. And the kings in Micah's day were supposed to rule with justice and compassion, but far too often they didn't. Jesus will come and has come to rule with compassion and justice. He is the true king that we are to worship. It's fantastic that all those leadership roles that Micah is condemning, they're so failing, Jesus comes to fulfill them. He is our true leader. And he redefines, doesn't he? He redefines completely what it means to be a leader. They're not meant to be self-serving. They're meant to be serving other people. Jesus came not to serve, but sorry, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His self-emptying, his humility, his obedience to God, even going to death on a cross, is the complete opposite of how people in Micah's day were behaving. Jesus was the Lord of all, yet he became a slave. He was all-powerful, yet he became weak. He was equal with the Father, but he refused to take advantage of his status. Jesus' life and death and resurrection redefines, I think, completely what we think about leadership. Today's reading wasn't easy. If you go into details, it's quite graphic and quite disturbing. And I did wonder, is this really appropriate for the first Sunday in Advent? But I decided to leave it in because of the contrast is so stark with Jesus. In Micah's day, the leaders were ripping the flesh off of people's bones. When Jesus comes, he's prepared for his flesh to be ripped off so that we can live. The contrast can't be starker, could it? On the cross, Jesus is prepared to experience all the injustice and pain of the world, so that we might live. He is not a God who is indifferent. He is not a God who refuses to act. He is a God who intervenes to solve the problem of pain and injustice, so that we can be saved and forgiven. What fantastic good news that is. Christ takes our punishment so that we can live. That's what life through judgment means. We have life because he takes our punishment. Jesus is not the perfect prophet, priest and king, despite being killed on the cross. He's the perfect priest, prophet and king because he died on the cross. That's what true leadership is. That's what true love is. It's fantastic news. It's mind-blowing news, I think. But it has implications for us today, doesn't it? If he's our true prophet, priest and king, that must affect us now, here and today. If he's our true prophet, then we're to listen to what he says. If he's our true priest, then we can approach the Father in confidence and pray for the world. If he's our true king, then we can follow him and seek to obey him. This week, I hope you're not fooled when you look at injustice around you. I hope you're not fooled into thinking that True power belongs to those who exploit the poor or trample over the weak or abuse their power. That's not real power. True power doesn't lie with Putin. It doesn't lie with the the office bully. It doesn't lie with the abusive husband. Their power is only a corruption of what true power really looks like. 
True power resides with leaders who are prepared to serve and love others. Jesus is our true leader because the weak become strong, the poor become rich. That is a challenge for how we live our lives this week, I think. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to tell others about the good news of Christ, to be prophets in the world. We're called to embody God's presence in the world. We're called to be priests. And we're called to follow the King and to live a life that's worthy of him. We don't just do that if we're leaders. We do that because we're followers. And we do it in every area of our life, in church, in our workplace, in our homes, and in our communities. We are to be like Jesus. So just to finish, this week I hope that we can be like Hezekiah. Hezekiah is an example for us. He heard God speaking through the prophet Micah. It touched him and he responded positively. He turned his life around by repenting. And by doing that, he found life, life in fullness. Amen.